are in a new series, Healthy Relationships, and today we're going to look at healthy friendships. How many of you have friends? Hopefully all have at least one friend. It's interesting the world in which we live. Uh, our definition of friendship has, has altered and changed a little bit. Social media has actually, I think at times, shallowed our definition and concept of what a friend is like. I have 734 friends on Facebook. I know, I'm a popular guy, I know, I know. But really, I, as I was doing this this week, I was going through some of those friends, and I'm like, wow, like, I, I have 734 friends on Facebook. But I'm, I'm going through the list, and I'm like, wow, how many do I actually truly deeply know, I would say there's probably about 700 of them that I know. <laughs> there's probably a handful that I just truly deeply know and have a deep-rooted friendship with. The rest are kind of acquaintances and kind of shallow or maybe surface-level friends. So it's, it's kind of changed the dynamics of, of our, our definition of what a friend is like. Um, there's a new phobia that's happening, and there I don't think they've pinpointed exactly the name that they're calling this, but some are kind of saying it's a telephonobia or a telephonomic phobia. And, and here's the phobia. It's, uh, maybe some of you would relate to this. It's a phobia and a fear of when your phone rings, not wanting to answer it, and instead wanting to maybe text that person back. <laughs> right? How, just, just do this if you've done it. Right? It's like, oh, the phone's ringing. No, I don't want to answer it. Maybe I could just text them back. Because you can control the text, right? You can control the text. You can kind of have some, a little bit more, you can manage it a bit more with, if you pick up the phone and actually have to have this conversation, you don't know exactly how to communicate anymore. Because we're so used to this instead of this. So it's interesting where, where we are in life and and in our society, and what needs to uh, maybe grow in us. Uh, it's interesting because Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating, and he creates the earth, and then he creates man, and he says, in regards to the things that he's created, it's good. It's good. And then he kind of finishes, and he says, it's actually very good what I've done here. But then he looks at Adam and says, wait a minute, it's not good that man be alone. So he creates someone that fits with Adam. Meaning that we are built and created for relationship. We need each other. We need relationship. That the phrase that we've often heard, no man is an island, is so true. Like, we need each other. We need relationship. So friendship is a self-disclosure and kind of self-discovery. It's about vulnerability and intimacy. And social media has diminished that spectrum. We don't often speak of, of friendship as a spiritual discipline, but I'd like to say that friendship is like a spiritual discipline. You have to work at it. You have to cultivate it. You have to water it, plant some seeds, nurture it. You have to do stuff. It doesn't just happen kind of thing. As a child, most of our friendships were proximity. So, I hung out with the kids in my neighborhood because they were right next door or they were playing hockey 
We don't see that as often, but it was street hockey or going for a bike ride. So it was the proximity factor. Whoever was closest to me was kind of my friend. And then as we grow and mature, it kind of shifts, and there's still some proximity, but it, kind of, it also comes to more commonality. What do what we have in common? What kind of things we like to do together? And still somewhat of that proximity. So it, it does change. The concept of friendship has changed and is changing. So I want to read a scripture for you. It's found in John chapter 15. And it, it says this. It says, I loved you as the Father loved me. Now, remain in my love. I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have, and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. So this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, I chose you. And I gave you this work, to go and produce fruit, and fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you anything you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. I want to take some friendship qualities out of this text for us. And I'm just going to give you three, so it's easy to remember how I can start cultivating friendship. And I'm going to give you the acronym a friendship that sits, or sit, sit friends, S-I-T. Because really, if you're going to cultivate a friendship, you need to sit and be with each other. So is that helpful for you to remember? Is this helpful for me to remember? Should I sit? No? Okay, I'll stand. Sit. The first one is sacrifice. Sacrifice is the first thing. Jesus says, lay down his life for them. And, and in these qualities, I'm just going to refer to a person, and that will maybe help give you some imagery. And these kind of overlap with the different characters that I'll quote and I'll, I'll mention in our, uh, our, our three different areas. So Jesus said, lay down his life for them. And Jesus is our example of this. He's our example. It's duty and sacrifice. There's something that comes. Uh, the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships says this. It takes 50 hours of socializing to move from an acquaintance to a casual friend. 50 hours, okay? Another 40 hours to move to a real friend. And then another 200 hours of FaceTime. Not, not the Apple FaceTime, but the real FaceTime to move into a close friend. So, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not good at math. That's why I became a pastor. But someone has done the math for me. <laughs> so, an hour a week, or sorry, an hour a month for a new friend. If you, how many could give up an hour a month? Could you give up an hour a month for a friend? You will become close friends in six years. <laughs> One hour a month, six years, right? It's, it's sacrifice. Perhaps the highest cost of friendship is our most precious commodity, and that is time. It's time. Rick Warren says this, your time is your life. 
That is why the greatest gift you can give someone is your time. It is not enough to just say relationships are important. We must prove it by investing time in them. Words alone are worthless. Relationships take time and effort. And the best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. Time. True friends invest a hefty amount of time in each other's company. In a culture where money is time and time is money, the cost of friendship is the greatest sacrifice to be able to invest your time into someone else. It takes time, commitment, and sacrifice to build relationships. One person said this, wide and shallow is for waiting pools, not for friendships. You need to be deep in friendship. There are miraculous and un- the friendships are miraculous and uncommon, and they take time and energy. It is a two-way street. You give and you take. You give and you take. It's two ways. I'm sure all of us here have had a friendship where it's a one-way street. Maybe, if you're honest, you have been a friend where it's a one-way street, where you've just taken and you've taken and you've taken, because that's what society has often given us the concept of we're about networking we're about uh, what can I get out of this relationship rather than what can I give into this person so two way street we see this example of Jesus he calls us friends he takes the towel as we heard earlier he humbles himself and serves he gives himself completely and lays down his life for us so here's a question do we have relationships like this Do we have someone we are willing to sacrifice for? Do we have someone who we think is willing to sacrifice for us? To take what some would say a bullet for you, or a bullet for, I would take a bullet for you, or you take a bullet for me. To put ourselves before them, for them to put themselves before us. So the first thing is sacrifice. The second is intimacy. We can also use loyalty. And this person I want to talk about with intimacy is Jonathan. Jonathan and David's relationship is a beautiful relationship of friendship. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan... He made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. So deep and so intimate was this relationship that it was was two becoming one, kind of. They were so close, such friendships that he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made the covenant. And then it's interesting here because it says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And if you're familiar with who Jonathan is, he is Saul's son, which means that Saul is king and Jonathan would therefore be the heir of the throne. And here he recognizes David and looks at David and says, none of that matters to me. Your friendship is greater than that. So here's some sacrifice, here's some intimacy to be able to say, here, you can have it because I love you that much. How many of us have friendships where they would say, I'd rather you take the raise than I take the Or I'd rather you get the glory than I get the glory. That intimacy and vulnerability that comes so deep to say, I can take the backdrop and you can take the spot. That's how Jonathan was. 
later on we see in this, as their friendship unfolds, Saul desires to kill David. And Jonathan saves David. And there's, uh, right after their uh, plan to warn David that Saul was not happy with him, this is what happens. It says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone boat and stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan, bless you. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the, names of the, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Later, after Jonathan dies, David takes in his family. There's such a deep love. I love what Leonard Sweet says. He says this, A Jonathan is a true friend. Your friend who loves you as himself or herself. And that's the biblical definition of friendship. He says this, A Jonathan believes in you when no one else does. A Jonathan is loyal even when you make it hard to be loyal. A Jonathan is the first to call in good times or bad. A Jonathan gives and gives and wants no payment in return. A Jonathan walks with you in all seasons. A Jonathan won't let you surrender to your dark side. A Jonathan has seen you naked in all your treachery and lustfulness, at your most evil and your most brilliant, and loves you anyway. A Jonathan keeps you in check when you want what you can't have, and a Jonathan grants you grace when you take him or her for granted. A Jonathan defends your life's meaning when your life has no meaning. That's what a Jonathan is like, that intimacy. So with intimacy comes vulnerability and deep intentionality for growth. It's deeper conversations. It's conversations that might look something like this. Not so much, hey, what happened today? Or how was your day? But more deeper in the context of how did you experience your day today? What was the experience life like? It's deeper to say, what are you finding encouraging in your walk with God? It's creating a safe space for us to speak our minds without fear. It's asking questions maybe like, what are you finding difficult in your walk with God or in your faith? And allowing the honesty and vulnerability to happen. Not networking, but intimate. We come clean with the dark side, which means our memories, our wounds, our reflections that make us who we are. But we feel no shame in disclosing those things with that true intimate friend. We also share our heart's desires. Henry Nouwen, he says this, he says, When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is to those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. Do we have someone in our lives that intimate, at times, words aren't even needed. The last thing is, uh, or the third thing is truth. Jesus said this, he says, free in communicating his mind to them. See, Jesus said, you're no longer servants, because a servant, you don't disclose the plans, you don't disclose the inner circle and the intimacy, but you're my friends, so I'm giving you the truth. I'm laying it, laying it out for you. And the example I want to give you for truth is Nathan. 
Nathan was also in David's life. And we need to be friends who listen graciously and speak honestly. Listen graciously So during David's reign, Nathan provided him with expert counsel on a range, different range of issues, on uh, war, on kingdom building, on different areas. So Nathan had some rapport with David. He went on to give him advice about the throne, uh, spoke directly to the heart of the king. But Nathan also confronted David about his sexual relationship with that woman, Bathsheba, and had the courage to stick his finger in David's face and say, you're the man. Without Nathan, David would have continued his adulterous and murderous, lustful behavior and corrupted his line. We all need a Nathan. We need someone to point their finger in our face and say the words that have double meaning. The double meaning words that say, you are the man that God is going to use or the woman that God is going to use and bless. You are that person. But the double meaning of saying also, you're that man or you're the woman who has stumbled and slumbered in the wrong spot. We need someone like Nathan. Who in your life is not afraid to haul you before the courts of truth? Who's not afraid to tell you that if you routinely run into more than three jerks in a day, that jerk just might be you? Do we have that friend who not only tells you you got something in your teeth, but tells you you are the thorn in someone else's side right now? Do we have that person who can tell you you're not speaking with Jesus' voice right now? A welcomed intruder. Do we have a welcomed intruder? Correction. Someone who can come along and correct us. And here's the thing about correction. We need to expect it. We need to examine it. And we need to endure it. Correction is good. Do we have that faithful friend who will look at us and give us correction? But here's the thing. Like Paul said, it's always in gentleness and love. That is a true friend. You see, Nathan, he came to David. But do you see how David came to recognize his error? Nathan brought him a story. He came to David. He brought gentleness and love and told him a story about someone who had done something wrong. And all of a sudden, David, he looked and says, this person needs to be, their justice needs to be served here. Something needs to happen. And then Nathan gently looks at him and points the finger and says, it's you. And then David recognizes. It's someone that gets under your skin asks the question, but they're not always rushing to tell you the truth, but they're there to help you do the truth and be the truth. Sit, friends. Sacrifice. The last thing is an example of a friend called Lazarus. And this is about being Sometimes you are not intentional about, intentional about choosing who And I think there's an important factor that we ought to be sometimes choosing. And 
intentional about those that we allow into our lives, those that we get vulnerable and intimate with. You see, we cannot be friends with everybody. We can love everybody. We can be inclusive. We can have several different types of friendships. But those deep, deep friendships, we cannot have with everybody. You know, Jesus had the multitude, and there was the 70, and he had the 12, and he had the 3, and he had the 1. There was an inner circle. And all of us should somewhat have an inner circle. And that's okay to have that. So, it seems like Lazarus is kind of Jesus' Jonathan. We don't know a lot about Lazarus. The Gospel of John, we have the story of Lazarus, but he's not random. He's someone that has a personal friendship. And it's kind of private. We don't get to see too much into it. We aren't, we aren't privy to what's happening in the off-screen encounters. He's, his miracle is not a random moment, but there's depth to this relationship that is out of view. What I find interesting is that in Jesus' last kind of moments before he goes to the cross, where he's going to enter into the most difficult time, where does he go? He goes to Lazarus' house. It's almost like he's saying, I'm going into the dark, dark place, and what I need right now is just that friend I can sit with and just be with. He's going to give me the courage and the strength I need to go and walk through this path. I think there was an intentionality that Jesus had with Lazarus and with Mary and Martha. Some friends where he could just be himself, where he could just receive and enough strength to go and do the task that he needed to do. So be intentional. Jesus, he needed people. He needed his friends in the hardest moments, the moments of simple reclining together. That friendship was for him, I think, and not so much for us to hear about. Socrates said this, be slow to fall into friendship, but when thou art in, continue firm and constant in that friendship. And Proverbs says this, some friendships don't last long, but there is one loving friend who is joined to your heart closer than any other. May we live in such a way to not just draw others in, but to be drawn into others' lives in vulnerability and intimacy. To take time to sit and be with each other and form these friendships. A Jewish proverb says, one who finds a faithful friend finds a treasure. We need to be not so much surface level friendships, but we need can you throw that, that next slide on for us? We need to go skin deep. Skin-deep friendships is what we need. Skin-deep. Good friendships. Skin-deep. Amen? Love you, Jeremy. (laughs) I'm going to bless you if you would stand with me. This is a friendship blessing from John Donahue. It says this. May you be blessed with good friends. May you learn to be a good friend to yourself. May you be able to journey to that place in your soul where there is great love, warmth, healing, and forgiveness. And may this change you. May it transfigure that which is negative, distant, or cold in you. And may you be brought into the real passion, kinship, 
an affinity of belonging. And may you treasure your friends. May you be good to them. And may you be there for them. And may they bring you all the blessing, challenges, truth, and light that you need for your journey. And may you never be isolated. May you always be in the gentle nest of belonging with your soul friends. May you go skin deep.